Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode here of The Daily Grind. Today, we have an awesome interview lined up for you all. We're joined by Alan Adamson. Alan is an entrepreneur, a marketing expert, author, and we talk about a lot of different things in this episode. As always, be sure you have a pen, piece of paper, sit back, really dive in today. If you're a business owner, if you're looking to start a business, Alan provides really amazing and actionable steps to truly help you on your journey in your business. Along with that, he is a uh, new author, or actually a four-time author, but of his new book, Shift Ahead, which we talk about a little bit. Stay tuned, everyone. Hope you enjoyed today's episode with Alan Adamson. Do you ever feel like there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you or holding you back from achieving your goals? For me, this was my past. I kept using my past as a crutch to not move forward and an excuse. And it wasn't until I started to talk about it with a professional that things really changed and I transformed. And this is why I love this company, BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. Now this isn't a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's a professional counseling service done securely online. The best part about this is, guys, is that you don't have to worry about driving in a location, sitting in an awkward waiting room, not knowing who you're talk to. Like, you get to pick your counselor. You get to do it from the comfort of your own home, so it's really comfortable and super discreet for you, and you can really open up. I find when I'm in the comfort of my own home, I open up in ways I never thought I would. And there's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which is definitely not available for you in your local area. And this service is for clients worldwide. All you do is log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor, and in a short matter of time, you get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So again, you don't have to sit in the waiting room. You don't have to book a week out. You can do this whenever you're ready. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, and they make it super easy for you and free to change counselors if needed. So if you're not jiving with someone or they're not jiving with you, don't have to worry about this awkward thing. You can just find someone else. So you can spend the time early on to find that person who you really jive with, and that's super, I can tell you from experience, it really, really helps. It's more affordable. This is the best part. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And maybe if you don't have cash right now or you're not as flush as you need to be, financial aid is available. I can't tell you the importance of this, guys. This changed my life when I finally decided that I wasn't going to accept all this shit that I kept happening to me. I'm gonna deal with my past, and when I dealt with my past, it helped me move forward. And BetterHelp and I want you to start living a happier life today. I want you guys to visit betterhelp.com forward slash grind. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash grind, and you can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, for Daily Grind listeners only, you can get 10% off today your first month by going to betterhelp.com forward slash grind. Again, betterhelp.com forward slash grind. Well, Alan Adamson, welcome to the Daily Grind, my friend. How are you? Terrific. Thanks for inviting me. 
Of course. Uh, for people being first introduced to you today, if you wouldn't mind, Alan, just kind of explaining as to, to who you are, what you do um, for, for everyone listening. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in the business of helping people and companies build their brand, which I define as their story, what they want people to, to take away when you hear your company name or your, your own name, and then how they could do that through better branding, which is how they signal their story. And that could be advertising. It could be social media. <laughs> it could be the logo on the front of the business card. It could be um, many, many ways, as everyone knows, to get your story out there. And both are interrelated. You got to have a clear story you want to get across. And then how do you get it across changes by market, by day, by category, uh, and by communication challenge. So let's take a step back. How, how long have you been doing this for? Uh, many years. I, I started uh, on the marketing side at a company called Unilever, which uh, makes a lot of consumer goods, Dove soap and other things, mm -hmm. which was a good place to learn marketing. Because despite what uh, uh, many people say, it's hard to tell the difference between one shampoo and the other, and one soap and the other. And so if the products are pretty similar, a lot comes down to marketing and how you tell that story and how you communicate it to make you think that Dove is better than ivory. Um, and after doing that for a number of years, I went over to the advertising side and I worked with another large consumer company, uh, uh, Global, Procter & Gamble, mm -hmm. and did, and did how to help them with communications. And then for the third part of my career, I went to a, a firm called Landor, which was a brand and branding firm, but more of a consultancy to help clients figure out how they should position themselves in the market how they should position their business. And sometimes big companies needed to be reimagined, whether it was BP or FedEx or others. And then we would help them tell that new story to the marketplace. Got you. And then how long have you been on your own for? Uh, about three years. Uh, I set up this organization called Metaforce, which is a sort of a special forces team of senior partners. And we look at client challenges from multiple perspectives, each coming out of a slightly different background. And then we can pivot to once we have a, an idea as to how to enhance a business competitiveness uh, to a great team of uh, implementation specialists from advertising to social media to digital to PR and on down. Got you. So, I mean, you had a successful career. You're working for a lot of great companies, learning a lot. Why start something on your own? What, what drew you to, to start Metaphors? Well, big agencies and big companies are, are struggling, big agencies in particular. Uh, they're struggling because you know, today you need to be far more agile and big mm -hmm. companies like big battleships <laughs> are, are hard to turn around. Uh, and uh, ultimately, it's having the right talent for the right problem. And again, big agencies are struggling to keep the best talent. Lots of the best talent is independent these days. Uh, and being able to tailor teams to suit a client's need, it seems like the right time. And ironically, um, we started off as a virtual. We had a couple offices in San Francisco, Seattle, and New York. Uh, but uh, we were somewhat more virtual. And now, of course, with the dramatic change in the world in the last six months or nine months, being virtual is not as big a difference as it was uh, when we started two years ago, two and a half years ago. So you start two and a half years ago. How long did you have the idea in your head that you were going to do that? Well, even at Lando, we were struggling for how do we get the right people deployed against the mm -hmm. right problems? And did we have the right people in the Cincinnati office, the Chicago office, the New York office, or the San Francisco office? So it was already challenging back then. And Lando was owned by a large agency holding company called WPP. And they owned uh, 
JW Thompson, JWT, Young and Rubicon. They had lots of companies. And what we found difficult, or I found difficult within WPP was to get those individual companies to work together because everyone had an individual profit center. And so uh, the notion of tailoring a team with multiple perspectives was hard to do in a very large structured organization. So I began to experiment with with that idea at Landor. Um, and then I decided to write another book called Shift Ahead, uh, which okay. focused on um, why so many people know you have to change to stay relevant, but most people, most companies struggle to change, struggle to stay relevant, and why you know, why, while the theory is easy, why, why so many people struggle to shift their business ahead. And it was a year and a half project. I co-wrote it with a colleague at NYU's business school. And we did a lot of research, spoke to over 100 companies. Some had successfully shifted. Many had not. Big companies, small companies, for-profits, not-for-profits. And it really was a great foundation to sort of look at why staying relevant is easy in theory, but hard in reality. Why do companies struggle to shift? Like through all your research, I know there's probably a lot that goes into it, but Cliff notes it. Yeah, the, 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 first, the first obvious one that most people realize is we are all creatures of habit. Uh, everyone is more comfortable doing what they did yesterday than trying something new tomorrow. Uh, and we categorized it somewhat as there was an old TV show in the U.S. Uh, called Frasier. And Frasier's dad had an old chair and he kept that old chair in yeah. uh, Frasier's. And, you know, what we found is many, many people go to the office every day, open the emails, do their same thing, talk to the same people they talk to, stop at the same coffee shop every morning, say, hi, Bill, how's things are going? They get very stuck in the familiar and comfortable. And when you're that stuck, you know, in that, doing something new, it's hard to see and it's hard to do. So human nature is I'm more comfortable doing with it, what I did yesterday, yet shifting ahead requires you to do something different. So that was a big one that everyone's starting in the end zone, if you would, um, yeah. with a big handicap. And then uh, the other big one is that most organizations, big companies and small, started too late. The time they started to think about maybe shifting their business is when sales starts drop, sales started to drop, <laughs> customers started to go away. And once you're on that downward slide, your business is shrinking, you're losing clients, you're losing customers, then to try to say, oh, we got to try something new, you're already behind because it's really hard to try something new and you have to anticipate it's going to take Murphy's Law, it's going to take longer than you think, it's going to be harder than you think. And if you're running out of money and you can't take any chances, you're going to be more risk averse. And, you know, uh, so many companies, big and small, just wait until the sky is falling before they do something. And then that's really hard. Um, or they are so uncomfortable with risk, they can't try something new. Uh, we did a number of big company um, many years ago, Toys R Us uh, went bankrupt. But, yep. you know, they, you know, for years, Toys R Us knew that people were changing what types of toys they bought, how they bought them. Amazon was killing them. And so the company knew for eight years that they needed to change. But internally, they were looking at two choices. Do they go with a high-end boutique toy store where you could go in? They had a flagship store in Times Square where you could ask the salesperson, what's the best toy for an eight-year-old boy? And the salesperson would know. Or do they go with a cheap warehouse where everything's piled to the ceiling and no one knows and they try to compete with Amazon? So they built both models and they kept on researching it. And they were a deer in headlights. They couldn't decide. And at the end, they didn't execute either and both, you know, vaporized. So many times figuring out which way to go is not obvious. And a lot of companies 
uh, are nervous about saying, I'm going to go left or right. So they play both angles until almost so much time has gone by that the opportunity has changed <laughs> or that they're too late to so, my first point. So how would you determine, like how, how as a company would you suggest that one determines whether it's a, it's an avenue in, in which they should, they should test it, right? Because I mean, there's a lot of ideas being thrown out. They're looking to change. How do you determine if one's right for you to test or one's not? Usually both are right to test. You, you know, okay. the trouble is um, if you agonize, do I try both? And well, I'm not sure. Um, not, it's likely neither alternative is right. <laughs> and doing both, if you don't spread yourself too thin, and learning and assuming you're going to have to pivot is going to give you a higher chance to succeed than overthinking and say, well, do I do you know, French fries on Tuesday or milkshakes on Wednesday? Let me think about it. Uh, I'm going to do French fries on Tuesday. And even if you do French fries on Tuesday, it's probably not right. But you're going to have to, most times you're going to need to iterate to a new solution. Um, and getting out and trying something Oh, uh, you're going to learn more, even if you fall on your face, than sitting in the conference room and mapping what's what. Um, so there's no real like right, you know, the right flow. You no, just kind of well, to... cer certainly start early. Uh, yeah. And you know, another major finding, which is so obvious to everyone, but it's hard when you're there, is that most people are really focused on the competitor right in front of you. So if you've got a dry cleaning shop, you're looking at the one across the street. And if they offer a buy one shirt, clean one free, you're going to do that. <laughs> you know, and, and everyone, and that it happened to me when I was working in, you know, I worked with Gillette and Gillette was totally preoccupied with Schick. And I work with Pepsi and Pepsi, you know, every day there was a discussion of what's Coke's doing. And as you know, all those companies got into trouble, not so much from the person right in front of them, but from somebody in their peripheral vision or behind them. So Gillette didn't get, shaken out by Schick, it got, you know, their clock cleaned by Dollar Shave Club out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Pepsi is not getting their clock cleaned by Coke. It's getting, they're getting attacked by waters and healthier beverages and smaller brands from the outside. So, you know, a, a lot of big companies or small companies are very focused on what, what I call, you know, they were playing tennis. I play tennis badly, but you know, when I play it badly, one of the things I try to do is really pay attention to where my competitor is and try to hit the ball where they're not. I'm totally focused on the competitor. Um, when I play golf badly, even worse, it, it doesn't really matter if I watch my competitor. What really matters is how well I hit the ball. <laughs> Am I paying attention to the wind? Am I, you know, so it, if business could play more attention to what's going on around them seems obvious as opposed to just being preoccupied. Cause there's also the belief if you're very focused on your competitor that, Oh, John knows what he's doing. I'm going to do that. And you get into myopic view of the world really quick. And most likely if you're going to run into business trouble, it's not going to be from your direct competitor. Sometimes it is, <laughs> but a lot of times it's going to be from someone you're not even looking at off to your side. That's going to, you know, eat your lunch. Got you. So what, uh, I mean, you've mentioned some companies that you've done work with. What, what's like an ideal company that you work with? Like what types of companies do you, do you help? We, we tend to help companies that don't have an obvious problem where you can say, well, what do you want from your customers? And they say, I want better tasting food and you make better tasting food and they come. <laughs> Most of the time I, we work on what I call solving nonlinear problems where all the choices look bad. <laughs> you know, the customers say one thing and do another. Uh, so typically problems that require more than just two plus two is going to give you four. And most businesses, 
the challenge is you can't ask customers what they want because as Steve Jobs famously told us, if you know, no one could have envisioned I want an iPad, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, they, they see the world or often they see the world uh, through the world they've lived in and can't tell you what's around the corner. Uh, so um, companies that, that have a challenge, they're not usually not growing uh, and they're not growing and they've tried the obvious. They've tried, you know, a few, you know, polishing things and shining yeah. things up and a little bit of promotion. And what worked last year is not working this year. Those are good clients because it requires some nonlinear problem solving, something out of their wheelhouse to figure out what to do, not just, oh, just do a promotion and tell people the price is down 15%. Gotcha. So when you go in, I'll do like two parts maybe to this question. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the first thing you look at? And then how long would you typically spend with that customer or client? Well, the first thing, of course, you like in any situation, you, you, you can quickly go in and speak to the leadership team and find out what do they think? What have they tried? What have they tried that's not worked? And why haven't they tried some things that um, they've thought of, but they've decided not to do. So, uh, and from that assessment, you, you can pretty much quickly see, I, are, are they being somewhat myopic? Are they only looking for the same sorts of things or are they really trying everything under the moon? And boy, you know, this is going to be a tougher one. So we usually start with some interviews is to talk about what you've done. Not so much what led to your success. Cause most people are pretty comfortable talking about how I built the business, how it came, you know, how great it is. Uh, but get them to talk about more of things they've tried that haven't worked, get them to talk to their customers. And then the next step would be to do some customer perspective, not so much asking people, but we are more believers in watching people, uh, either when they shop online digitally or, uh, because consumers often give you the socially acceptable answer. When I was in the ad business and we would show some commercials, you know, at a focus group, everyone would say, Oh, I, I don't watch. I don't believe in advertising. I, you know, I never listen to that. And, you know, you run the ad and of course sales go up. So, you know, you, I'm a really big believer that Jerry Seinfeld would have made a good marketing consultant if he didn't uh, make a billion dollars on sitcoms uh, because he was pretty good and is pretty good at observing. Isn't that strange the way people, you know, lose a sock in a dryer and why is that last sock always alone? You know, to, yeah. to be successful in marketing, you have to sort of look at what is and say, hmm, you ever wonder why people line up to check out instead of checking? Yeah. So we, we try to do a little bit of observational and um, uh, research into the customers, not so much answer four questions about, you know, what's important to you in a tuna fish sandwich. Because, you know, most most companies know the answer to that. And most people just go on autopilot and give you what they think you want to hear or what's been done for years. You know, they don't see around the corner. So it was a lot of when you're going through that research and you're kind of looking into the customers and, and trying to determine kind of their behavior. Is that a lot of data? Is that a lot of data you're looking at? Yeah, some data. Um, but sometimes you need some stimulus to get people to look at the world in a different way, which is, you know, you can ask them open-ended, what would you be interested in if we were going to do a new dry cleaning store? And then they would tell you. Uh, but you learn more if you then quickly say, well, here are three ideas we're thinking of for new dry cleaning stores. Here's this one. We pick up your laundry. Here's this one where, you know, we spray your shirts so they never get dirty again. And here's this one where we give you, t- you know, two shirts clean for the price of one. And right. they all could be different ideas, bad ideas. But when you start showing them what ifs, you get them thinking about what could be and you get them participating in the 
ideation process, not so much telling you the way it's always been and you know why you don't like that company because they're not friendly on the phone or whatever. So we often create some stimulus to, uh, to act as a catalyst to get people to zoom out a bit and to and to and to help you envision what could be different, not so much tell you what's in the rearview mirror. Otherwise, if you do a lot of research, most of it's in the rearview mirror, which will confirm why you're in this space and tell you why customers don't like you anymore and tell you what you've done badly in the past. And all that's nice to know, but insufficient to solve the problem. Interesting. So, I mean, a lot of people who are listening right now are, you know, they're, they're working at a company, say maybe they're starting a business. And I think one of the most important things you've mentioned this word a bunch of times is how do you differentiate yourself from one person to another, especially mm-hmm. in 2020, because a lot of people are doing the exact same thing. So right. how would someone, what are some questions maybe that they need to answer? What are some things they need to look at in order to help them start to, to look inside and, and realize what differentiates them from everyone else? You know, one of the things we like doing early on, which goes back to this, is an exercise is say, map your customer journey. If somebody's going to do business with you, if you've got a car rental or you've got a, a home painting company, you know, how write down the, you know, the, the how they find you, how's that first call goes, how do they, you know, how do you price it? Do you send them a, an email with their price? Do you send them a proposal? Do you go see them in person in a different time and place? You know. <laughs> And, and get all those touch points because there's a conversation. Lots of innovation happens when people look at touch points and reimagine them. And there have been many, many examples of it. You know, one of my uh, uh, you know favorites is is, an, is is a classic, but most people look at it and don't even pay attention. When Apple set up the Genius Bar, there was no there were some retail stores that sold computers, but there was no one you could go to at a retail setting that could tell you how to work the computer. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that, that, that touch point didn't exist. They invented that. Oh, uh, and yes, they did a lot of other things uh, and many, many other reasons are fueling Apple's success. But I would argue that that additional touch point has dramatically differentiated their brand experience over years, no matter how shiny Samsung's phones are or LG's phones, all the screens look the same, but you know, if you have a problem, Who's going to help you solve it? So, you know, look at touch points and think of new touch points, and also think of what happens if if things change dramatically. That's another one. I, um, uh, yeah, for I spent a lot of time in very big categories, and um, often asking your um, your your client to. Make up, you know, if you were going to totally reinvent your business and had to redo it from scratch, how would you start it off again? Hmm. Would you have a store in every corner? Would you, you know, put all your money into um, into one touch point? So then we look at those touch points, have those conversations, and you know, one of the first things we also try to do is that people have a uh, many, many uh, business folks have a check the box mentality. Oh, we have a website. We've done some social. We create some content. You know, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I, you know, we have a nice logo and that used to be pretty good. But the problem is if everything is okay, average is over. It, it, you know, the most important touch point that, uh, that's dominated our marketing for the last 10 years is word of mouth 
or word of eye, what you share with your pictures on your phone. But, mm-hmm. And no one shares, everyone talks about how do I go, an idea that goes viral, how do I win word of mouth? And again, the strategy is really easy. No one shares ordinary. If you have an ordinary, you listen to an ordinary podcast, it was okay. You know, somebody said, how is that podcast? All right, it was pretty good. If you have a terrible podcast, you know, you can be sure that, you know, you'll have a whole bunch of people saying, don't ever listen to that. That was a very supporting news. <laughs> but if you have a great po- podcast, and say, look, I learned three incredibly important things. You got to listen to this podcast. Um, then, you know, so getting away from the check the box mentality and doing a few touch points better. And so maybe you don't redo your website. Maybe you don't you know, redo your design system. Maybe you don't. Yeah, but the one thing you do do, try to figure out how you can really do that extraordinarily well. How can you create your own genius bar and not just have a service desk to answer questions on technology? That's so important. I mean, you touched on so many different things there, but especially mm-hmm. now like the, that checkbox mentality that people have, it's, you know, I equate it to, you know, you do what Jimmy did. Like, yeah. you know, like Jimmy has all that. I want to be Jimmy. So what does Jimmy have? And I'm going to try to like match what he does. Right. You just copy what the competitor does and you do one, you do the exact same thing. And by definition, if you do what your number one competitor does exactly the same way, the, the, the best outcome is you'll do half as well as that competitor. The best. But the more likely outcome is you'll be invisible because you'll have That's nothing true. that will attract people to say, hey, we should take a look at, you know, Jimmy's hot dogs and why they taste better. So looking into to what you do, what are some touch points that you found you do really well over the last two and a half years that have gotten your business to where it is? Usually um, creating some disruption at some overlooked touch point, uh, whether it's going back and, you know, marketing, another thing that goes on in marketing, which I'm sure you see as, as well as we do. Besides this, oh, we do, we've done this. We check the box and do everything. Is lots of marketing is like uh, watching seven year olds play soccer. <laughs> yeah, everyone's chasing the ball. No one's on defense. And so, if there's a hot new thing in marketing, everyone is doing that. Everyone's saying, "Oh, I got to, you know, influencers. I got to do influencers. I've got to do social. I've got to get something to go viral." And those are all true. Yes, if you can, those are important channels. But if everyone's trying the same thing and you're not particularly good at those things. Or if you have an influencer approach, but you have no money to get the right influencers or don't have a way to do it. <laughs> and so you get the, the the guy down the corner who's going to be influencers and your competitor has real influencers, you know, you're going to lose. So, you know, going to some touch points uh, that have maybe fallen out of favor. So we often say, well, let's look at your packaging. You know, is it clear? You know, let's look at you know, your customer service experience or something. So we try to not just jump on the bandwagon and say, oh, you know, here's the top three things to drive word of mouth. Let's, you know, what are you doing? You have to pay attention. You may need to tie on those and do as well as Jimmy down the street, but you got to have one that you're going to win on. And sometimes it's, it's going back to the future. It's looking at some touch point that others are overlooking or just deciding to do okay, where you can do it extraordinarily well. Really interesting. Um, Because you've been doing this for so long, Obviously, we're in a time now that's that's a lot different. And to say over the last you know many years, what are some of the biggest differences you found in in marketing in order to capture people's attention? How has that behavior changed? Well, I actually think it's gotten much harder to do marketing um, 
than it used to be uh, in the Mad Men days when I started. Because um, back in those days, you know, there were a couple options. You you could do some advertising. You could do some at that point it was called public relations, which is you know social, and you could do some promotion. But there were you know there were four or five levers, and the issue was how do you push them and can you do that. Now, you know, there's so many more touch points, plus consumers are incredibly more distracted. You rarely get a chance to talk to a customer for 20 seconds without them doing something else or getting distracted. <laughs> They've got another screen open, you know, so the, the importance of being able to cut to the chase to get your story simple and fast has never been more important. If you, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this one other quick story. Um, it's always been key that the best communication or the best breakthrough was based on a simple idea. When I started uh, in uh, in advertising, I uh, was pretty young, and I went into the um, creative team's office, and I said, look, I've done this a coffee brand. I said, here's a three-page email. It's everything you want to know about this coffee. I've spoken to customers, and it's Colombian beans, and it's brewed right. And the creative director, the team flipped through the three pages, and they highlight a few things, and Really, Alan, you're a really thorough job. You told us everything possible about this coffee. You've done so much homework. It's really very impressive, Alan. And then the the team ripped off the corner of the page, the top corner, and handed me back a little scrap. They said, now, when you can figure out what you want to say that fits on this one corner, come back here. And don't ever come into this office with two and a half pages of information. So today, you know, uh, if you look at great, Advertising. I know the world is more than advertising, but if you look at in the U.S. the Geico commercials that are funny, and you know, yeah. part of reason they can break through is because the strategy, their story, is so damn simple. You know that fifteen minutes can save you fifteen percent. Now there's much more they tell that is owned by Warren Buffett, and they do motorcycle insurance. But if you can't start off that story in a really simple way, you can't do breakthrough anything. And so, you know, uh, while that principle is the same. What's harder now is that everyone's distracted. There, are, you have instead of four choices, you have twenty choices. But the principle is still the same. No matter which choice you do, if you can't get your why you should eat Jimmy's hot dogs down to the fifteen minutes, will save you fifteen percent. You know, you won't be able to do a website. You won't be you won't be able to do anything in a way that will break through. Interesting. Are there some tools that that people say listeners can use in order to help them with this? Because um, I mean, you can listen back to this episode. 15 times and probably learn something new, which is awesome for everyone. Um, but is there something that you would kind of direct people to in order to start to answer some of those important questions themselves? Yeah. You know, to some extent, you don't need any outside help to do this. I often, when we're meeting with a financial service company or whatever the company, we ask them, put each benefit of your company or your product on a small, in, in the days of face-to-face uh, -face meetings, you know, index card, one benefit per card. And so they'd often be sitting at a desk and a conference table, and each of them would have eight or nine or 10 cards in front of them that it's 15% cheaper, that it's owned by Warren Buffett, that they do motorcycle insurance, that they've been in business 75 years, that they have a location near you, and they have all the. And I said, now let's, you know, those are great. You have your 10 cards, 15 cards, eight cards, whatever it is. Put them in a triangle. What goes on top? What's the first thing you say? And then, because you can't figure out how you start the story. No one's ever going to get to hear the rest of the story. So getting, and then you, with a group of four or five executives in the company, you find out everyone has a different pyramid <laughs> uh, and they can't agree on anything. And to some extent, the best marketing is also done when there is a single-minded idea. And 
uh, a really famous David Ogilvy, who was a founder of the ad agency I started with, uh, said was, you know, look around all the city squares and town parks, and you won't find any statues to committees. <laughs> and, you know, big, big companies are run by groups of people. And it's really, you know, to do great marketing, you need to make a choice. You have to say no to a lot of good things and pick one thing to get behind. Uh, and so the first exercise is get your products benefits or your service on individual cards, one per idea, and then see if you can put it in a, in order and, and, and start with that. Because if you try to tell everyone everything, as you know, you'll end up communicating not much to anybody. 100%. So uh, let's talk about obviously, like, lastly here, um, you work with companies. So you're more of an employee role, you're working with companies head on now, now you run your own business. Um, firstly, how big is the team you have right now? There are 12 partners. Gotcha. So you have 12 partners. What has the difference or what has the transition like been for you to move from working for others to now more of a leadership role? You know, to some extent, um, the process is pretty similar. The, ch the challenge for a small business is that when I was in a large company that had been around 50 years, a lot of reputation, a lot of, mm -hmm. the phone would ring <laughs> and say, hey, you know, I've, you know, I've heard about you 10 years ago when I was at a conference in San Francisco, you know, can you come see me and show me what you've done for FedEx or show me what you did for, uh, when you're in a small business, much harder, you know, the phone doesn't ring as much. You've got to build your external visibility. You've got to get out and talk more. You've got to get out and uh, make sure people know what you offer, how you do things and why you're different. Uh, and you don't have the same tools of years to build a reputation. <laughs> um, and uh, you don't have the same, um, uh, uh, you know, scale to be able to execute. So you have to pick things that you can execute well. So uh, it, it's been, the, the good part is, is, is less about discussing, you know, what are we going to do next quarter or two years from now? There's some of that discussion and it's more about, Look, here's here's the business we've got in house. Here are the proposals that we've you know got some conversations on. You know, here are some people that have reached out and asked us some questions. You know, how do we each take some of those and figure out how to get people on the journey from I've heard of you, you're sort of interesting, you understand my business, I like your approach, tell me what you want to do, and then do it. Yeah, very interesting. If people wanted to to reach out, connect with you, where's the best place everyone can do that? Um, yeah, you know, Alan at metaphors.com, or you could, you know, the power of Google, you can put my name in or one of my books and everything's connected. Um, um, I think that's still the easiest way is to search by name and or by company. Awesome. And where are you most active on social media? If people want to follow along on your journey, learn more about you, what you're doing. Mostly LinkedIn. Um, gotcha. uh, 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 of course, everyone has to participate in a lot of social media, but uh, uh, the only Adamson on Snapchat are my kids. So uh, <laughs> no TikTok for you? <laughs> a little bit of TikTok. It's, it's a tricky thing because there's so much great content there that you it's get true. in front of a, a whiteboard and saying, let me explain to you how you change your business is probably not going to uh, break through the algorithm. 
you got to work on those dance moves so you can like exactly <laughs> awesome well uh, alan i'll share all those links to make it super simple for everyone to connect i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule sharing your wisdom and uh with the audience here today i really do truly appreciate it i enjoyed talking with you and look forward to speaking at some time in the future and there you have it for today's interview everyone hope you enjoyed it if you did all I ask is you share this out with a one person who you feel like could truly benefit from today's episode. Thank you much. Thank you so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. If you want to sponsor the show, just visit ColinMorgan.biz. We'll be back next week with another amazing interview. Until then, Colin Morgan signing off. And always remember to keep on grinding. <laughs>